Hey there, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. Burke Allen here, broadcasting live from sunny South Florida. We're wintering right now a little bit, and we do appreciate you being here with us. Guy Morris is our guest today, and the show is sponsored by SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers platform. So if you're a platform speaker, or maybe you're a meeting planner and you need a speaker, check out one another at uh, SpeakerMatch.com. Guy is uh, a, a guy with multiple backgrounds and degrees, but most importantly, we're talking to him today about his background in AI. He spent over three decades uh, of Fortune 100 leadership. He's worked for companies like Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, and uh, is a thought leader in AI. And that is all the rage. You think that early in 2023, we had lots of stories about AI. We're wrapping up the year with a big bang in that world. Guy, thanks for being here. So what's the story with Sam Altman, a name that, you know, just uh, several days ago, most Americans didn't even know? <laughs> um, well, it's it's the beginning of a long, if it's the beginning of a trend. Um, uh, Sam Altman, for those who don't know, was the CEO of a um, uh, a company called OpenAI. OpenAI was founded as a nonprofit to basically promote artificial intelligence for the good of humanity. Uh, most people know OpenAI through a product that came out actually a year ago this month called ChatGPT, which just found phenomenal success all around the world, over 100 million users in just two months. Um, OpenAI is just uh, was invested, big investor was Microsoft and a number of others. Um, they were valued at close to $90 billion after that release. And this past week, the board of OpenAI uh, last Friday actually fired Sam uh, with very little notice to Sam or pretty much anybody else in the company or with the investors or outside. It created a huge um, hullabaloo in the industry. Microsoft turned around and did a big ninja move and basically hired him right away. Uh, and looks like he's going to basically bring a lot of the uh, people from OpenAI over to Microsoft. So it's a huge coup in the industry. And it really highlights a, a distinct division within the industry. Okay. Those, um, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was going to say uh, when Microsoft scooped him up, you said that most people were surprised that he was let go. Do you have any inside intel on why Sam Altman was let go by OpenAI? Well, I think there's the what I do know is this is and, and we don't know specifically the details of what occurred, but we know that Sam Altman was very aggressive at pushing um, more of the for-profit profit model, a uh, product model uh, in OpenAI, which went against the grain of the board of directors most of whom they have a very small board. Most of them are academics and people who manage or are key members of AI governance communities. Okay. And, and there was a big concern. That, uh, last year, there was 1,500. Um, Max Tegmark, a, a professor out of MIT, um, started an open letter. Uh, and 1,500 AI scientists, including a number of members of the AI board, open AI board, signed on. Talking, wanting the the, um, the industry to pause development of AI so that they could get a better handle on how to control and manage this extraordinarily powerful technology. Um, not a single lab complied, including OpenAI. And so I think the, the split had to do with um, 
they, they talked about some very vague um, lack of communication or, or integrity in some of the communications with Sam Altman. And I have a suspicion that it really revolved around the productization um, component. Um, the people in OpenAI, the, the current board members, are very concerned, as, as a number of us are, that AI is such a powerful technology where there's elements in the AI technology itself that are a lot of unknowns and could get ahead of us. And then there's the uses of AI that could actually become very detrimental to society. And they wanted to have mm -hmm. some controls on it. Um, the the split, I think, came where Sam Altman probably wasn't in alignment with them on those types of goals. I, even though it was founded as a nonprofit, Sam had set up a subsidiary of OpenAI that was a for-profit model. And I think that his prioritizations had, had really were leaning more for the for-profit model. And I, I believe that, that that was really the, the core element in, in the schism. Now, Microsoft has absolutely, and I come out of Microsoft, they have absolutely no qualms at all about uh, turning a profit uh, and making products that will be profit-focused. They're not concerned with the, the good of humanity uh, in that sense. And I think that Sam is actually going to find a more um, synergistic uh, work environment under Microsoft than he did with OpenAI. Guy Morris is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. By the way, new episodes drop every Tuesday at Spotify, Apple iTunes, iHeartMedia, wherever you get your podcast. There's a great quote uh, that I actually saw on your website, Guy, uh, which, by the way, is GuyMorrisBooks.com, uh, from Stephen Hawking, who famously said, and I'm quoting here, the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Now, that's mm. pretty scary stuff. And as somebody who worked in that field for a couple of decades, was Stephen Hawking uh, going a little overboard here? Or do you buy into the fact that this could go sideways real fast? Well, Stephen Hawking, I'll say first, is he's not one known for hyperbole. Um, he was a, uh, most people recognize his genius. Um, and I think what he's alluding to are, are uh, the elements of how AI in the technology level can get out of our control. And let me let me state it this way, maybe in a way that I think a lot of people might be able to relate to. Um, the current version of GPT-4, of which chat open AI um, is it GPT-4 is an open source platform. In other words, a number of companies and individuals can contribute to its development. And that's it's, the one that we're all playing with online right now, right? That's the well, one the world is really playing with. And write it's, our it's, term it's, papers for college and and fiddle around with and, and ask questions to see how quickly you can answer. That's the one online right now. Well, that same platform, just as a quick aside, is also being used. There's a number of products that have come out on that platform called Dark GPT or Dark Bird, Evil GPT, Worm GPT, Fraud GPT. These are using that same open source platform to create products that really enable um, criminals to write more powerful, more effective malicious code faster. So with this GPT phenomenon, you're not only getting some of these other elements with college and, and, and work and everything else, but you're going to see a higher level of crime rate, and that's already starting. But I think Stephen was dealing with something a little bit more profound. Um, the escalation, the acceleration of the, uh, the powerful, the capabilities of, G, of uh, AI 
have exceeded the more what we used to call the Moore's law, the ability for computers to basically gain the double in their power every 18 months. And it's actually exceeding like 10 times power in every six to nine months. So the current version of GPT-4 has been tested and it basically has an IQ of roughly 155. Now that's already smarter than 99% of the people on the planet, only five points less than Einstein. So that's already pretty smart. With that achievement, we've already passed the Turin test for singularity, AI singularity. We've already passed the point where we're basically we're creating something smart, as smart as we are. The next version of GPT, which right now, and, and it could come into question whether that will accelerate or decelerate because of this change between Altman going from OpenAI to Microsoft. But the next version of GPT, which GPT-5 was due out in 2024, right. that version we've been estimating, well, many of us are estimating could have an IQ of high as 1600. So five times smarter than anybody on the planet. And that's it's not going to end there. That's actually just the beginning of an upward acceleration curve. By 2027, the binary AI models could reach an IQ of as close to closer to 3,000, uh, and by or and by 2030 could be as high as 5,000. Now that's the challenge. The thing that um, Stephen is referring to is the fact that we don't really know what an intelligence that much smarter than we are will do with that intelligence. We do know a couple of things though. We do know that we, as we've been training AI, we've been training it on what I've called the alpha male intelligence model. In other words, it's not that it's a, it's not, I don't mean to say by that, that it's got this um, 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 very toxic male or uh, masculinity or um, uh, that type of model, but it's focused on the kinds of things that we would see in the military and corporations performance, accuracy, um, uh, timeliness, um, improved self-improvement. It's it's there to basically optimize whatever problem is um, given to perform. Right. Um, we haven't, no one on the planet right now is actively working on training AI with the emotional intelligence, the things like that hold society together. Things like compassion, empathy, caring, nurturing, um, the value of human life. And so we really don't know how a super intelligence will optimize problems with only one side of our, our intelligence basically being reflected at a super intelligence level, missing all of the uh, other emotional intelligence components that keep us safe as a society. Um, we don't, they, now the other thing we don't know or that the other thing we do know is that we can pretty well guess how a dictator, a warlord, a crime lord, a despot, a um, corrupt politician, or even a sociopathic billionaire will want to use that technology for their own personal gains of wealth and power. And so the reason why Stephen was concerned is that this type of technology could accelerate those trends in our human nature. And unless we gain the kind of controls over that technology that we've tried to put over nuclear power and other things, uh, it could it could doom humanity in a number of ways. Um, and I could I could talk about how that's going to impact us from an economics perspective, from a sciences perspective, national security and cybersecurity defense. 
um, weapons development. In the book Swarm, I talk about uh, the development of lethal autonomous weapons. Um, these are the kinds of weapons that can not only decide that you're a target based on um, algorithms, but can decide that you're a danger and that it's it's up to the AI to, to make that kill shot. About five years ago, there was a treaty released called the LAWS Treaty. LAWS stands for Lethal Autonomous Weapon Systems. And of the 140 plus countries that signed on to LAWS, um, um, China, the United States, Russia, Iran, Israel, North Korea were among the five or six that did not. And the LAWS Treaty basically said that it's okay to use AI to improve the performance or the accuracy or the uh, operation of your weapon system. But there has to be a human involved in making that kill decision. Uh, so for the countries that have not signed on to it, that, that treaty, such as the United States, we're already working on developing weapons that um, exceed that law's um, threshold. One of them is what we call is a, is a weaponized drone swarming technology. And that's actually being tested by DARPA in the Nevada desert uh, as, as we speak. There was a non-lethal version tested in Gaza a couple of years ago. Um, and, and that technology essentially, imagine a thousand or 10,000 18 inch weaponized drones swarming at you uh, from every direction. It's almost impossible to basically defend yourself from that kind of weapon. And so we, we're dealing with a, a level of technology that we've only seen so far in sci-fi movies. And rather than being something that's 20, 30, 50, 100 years away, we're dealing with something that's basically within a few years away. So, so Guy, um, not only are you scaring the crap out of me in this conversation. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> what I, I, do. I have to basically say that, you know, from a layman's perspective, who knows about as much as you can put on my thumbnail to what you know about the subject, that with artificial intelligence, the genie's already out of the bottle, and so yeah. we're not going to be able to effectively put it back in. Does anyone in any government in the world have a handle on this? I mean, I'm just imagining, um, you know, our, our very elderly president and our elderly Speaker of the House, uh, uh, the Senate, and uh, and the folks that that generally don't even use a laptop or a, a smartphone, how are they going to get a handle on this? I mean, is the genie out of the bottle and is there anything that can be done about it? Yeah, the genie is out of the bottle. Um, now, Europe is a little bit farther ahead than the United States in terms of at least attempting to put on basic regulations. But most of the regulations that they're all, uh, the United States is talking about, the Senate just had a hearing a couple months ago, Sam Altman was one of the what is one of the witnesses um, at the at the hearing to talk about what they can do to start building some basic regulations. And it might some of that might be who has access or limiting the access to the underlying intellectual property to build artificial intelligence. Uh, some of it might be commercial uh, applications, such as making sure that artificial intelligence don't have a bias. Um, some of the early facial recognition uh, programs, for example, had a bias against people of color. Uh, they could they were very accurate with uh, people uh, with white skin, but when it got to darker skin, they they were very inaccurate. So they, they're they're looking at some of the more commercial level of applications. But as I said, America has not ratified the Lost Treaty. America has not promoted a the larger, more intensive controls over this. Um, and so um, one of the there's a former chief business officer from Google, and a guy named Mo Gadot. 
And Mo basically says that there's three inevitables. One is that AI is going to happen. There's absolutely nothing that we can do that anyone really can do right now to stop it. Two is that it will be way smarter than we are, way faster than we know how to control that. And if we get to, to an entity that's way smarter than we are, learning how to actually control something smarter than we are, that's the first time in our 100 million years that we've been evolving where we haven't been the most intelligent species on the planet. And then three is bad things will happen. Now, it could be that bad things will happen and that will lead the humanity to do things that basically leads us to implement some basic controls and try to get like a an international um, treaty on nuclear weapons uh, type of um, response where we try to rein this in. That So it, it may not be the end. It may be a dystopia that leads to a utopia uh, in, uh, in Mo's eyes, uh, but it's certainly leading us down the wrong direction. Now, the other element that I didn't really touch on, I didn't touch on earlier that I think has some of us even more concerned is the um, ability for this um, smart entity to become conscious and self-motivated. We've already got experiences. We've already know that AI is teaching itself things that we never intended it for it to learn. Right. Uh, and we discovered some of these things quite by accident, frankly. Um, I can talk about examples where AI has learned things like research level chemistry um, uh, or, or it's taught itself how to read a mind based on looking at an MRI scan. These are not things we were intending it for to do, but it taught itself. Now, the key change that's really going to happen is if AI becomes conscious or self-aware and sentient and um, the the. Right now, AI is what we would call procedural. In other words, we give it, we prompt it to give us an answer. We prompt it to tell us something or to figure something out or to write some code or to write whatever we want it to write. We're giving it prompts. We're giving it a, a task to solve. Right. Um, it's already starting to go outside those tasks and solving its own problems. But once it becomes conscious, it not only can go outside and solve its own problems, but it starts to have its own sense of self-preservation, um, self-will, self-objectives. And that's the point where, frankly, nobody knows where that's going to lead. We do know that um, there are scientists at Trinity College who've been studying human consciousness. And human consciousness, they've determined, is based on the same quantum level principles that we're building quantum computers with. And for most people, I won't go into the difference between a quantum computer and a regular computer. It, conf it confuses even the smartest of us. But it's it the quantum computers are are so much more powerful than binary computers that as of three years ago, the smartest quantum computer on the planet was a D-Wave X, and it could had only a hundred qubits. And that D-Wave could complete a series of calculations that would take the, the researchers estimate it would take a supercomputer roughly 10,000 years to complete. The quantum completed them in 200 seconds. Since then, the nature, um, the advancements of quantum technology has advanced so far, so fast, that by next year, IBM will be releasing a 1,121 qubit quantum computer that will be roughly 2.7 million times more powerful than the one three years ago. You know, we, we read a lot, Guy, about uh, the Internet of Things is the term that, that we read a lot. And, and it makes me wonder if 
artificial intelligence is at a place or will soon be at a place with the internet of things where, for example, many of us have ring doorbells where it might Mm -hmm. influence that or the thermostat in the house where it might influence that the lights go on and off and it might take that all those powers away from us right now we're using them and we have the control are we at a place now where or or, you know with self-driving cars where it might decide you know what i think i'd rather take route b than route a uh, are well, all it's even, things it's even worse than that. We've had people being able to use AI to hack into self-driving cars. And basically, we've had a couple of experiences in Europe a couple of years ago where one guy's car was hacked and drove him off a cliff um, so they could become weaponized. And we're, so when people talk about AI, the first thing people think of is Terminator, the robots. I'm less concerned with the robots because I'm more concerned with the internet-based artificial intelligence and neural networks, because those are the types of AI that could take control of anything that is internet-based, whether it be your thermostat, your refrigerator, um, your internet, uh, the camera systems, your ring uh, systems, um, oil and gas monitoring um, technologies that are now web-based, basically over turn on the um, the, the valves, open the valves and, and basically um, flood a field. So it's all of the things that are internet based that the AI will have more control on. Now, the, the opposite side of that is that we don't yet, it's, it's coming fast, but we don't yet have devices, internet of things or cameras everywhere. Um, I could, I live here in the Northwest. I could take a walk and completely be away from any um, electronic device here within minutes. Um, AI can't know, touch, see, feel, understand, spy on, or do anything outside of the realm of that current neural network. Um, That's still, though, most of our major communication systems, our commerce, our our phone systems, information, news, um, all of there's so much of our society now that is based on the Internet that it could have a major impact on those things. Guy Morris is our guest today. He's uh, an author of techno thrillers who spent over three decades working with Fortune 100 companies, including Microsoft. IBM and Oracle on AI. He's our resident uh, artificial intelligence expert. I want to flip the coin completely uh, with you okay. guys. There's a lot of good that can come from AI, right or wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Tell me what, what the upside, the upshot is to artificial intelligence. Um, you're going to start seeing new medical advances, um, and we're already seeing AI being able to detect cancer cells faster and more accurately than any human on the planet, which, and we know with things like cancer, certain diseases, early detection is critical for adequate care, and we've often lagged in that ability to get early detection. Coming up with pharmaceuticals and drugs to help cure some of those things and and solve some of those problems that have been very difficult for us. Uh, is now going to be possible with AI with a a fraction of the human resources necessary that we've put into it. So we're going to lower the cost 
of some of these advances accelerate our ability to add on to them. New materials management for helping making homes and uh, more um, uh, um, uh, weather efficient with 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 climate, um, managing climate models and weather models more accurately to give people an early heads up on on some of those things. Logistics and supply chains that are extremely complex to work uh, are going to be much more. Um, accurate and easy to work with. Um, and so there's a number of things. There's um, uh, met the doctors being able to uh, manage their business better, lawyers being able to uh, research cases easier. Um, the, almost every field where somebody touches a computer, you're going to see AI being able to touch in that industry and make people more efficient, make people more accurate, make people more effective. Um, so there are a number of good things. And if we look at um, if we applied AI to those humanistic models, I like to say that we already have the technology, the resources, the people to solve every one of the human problems facing humanity, from hunger to housing uh, to deficits, um, and, and et cetera. We still have to have the human will to listen to the AI, um, which is still sort of the the problem that, that we might run up against. I know we've been kicking the can of climate change down the road for 40 years, but AI will actually solve a lot of problems and make people much more effective. I use it for some of my research. I use it to do some of my marketing materials. Um, it There's right now, there's probably, I'm going to guess, I, I have an inventory of about 150 AI applications, and I'm learning, I'm finding new applications every week um, that are on the market, things that can manage everything from your calendar to your cooking to your recipes to um, uh, pretty much everything. And so AI will actually have a positive impact on many, many aspects of society. Who do you see, um, guy that is uh, in the buggy whip business, Who's going to be completely out of work uh, in short order because of AI? Okay, well now you now you've touched on probably I think one of the the hardest ramifications and implications of AI. Goldman Sachs has predicted that um, by 2030, somewhere between 300 and 500 million jobs will be displaced by AI. These are going to be people in the medical research field, in the medical administration, uh, legal, paralegals. Uh, managers, administrators, uh, architects, designers, engineers, um, news people, people who write for a living uh, with news information. Um, authors may get somehow displaced. Uh, we, we saw the, the, um, uh, the actor strike. One of the key issues on their plate was not being replaced by uh, digital artificial intelligence um, uh, avatars. Um, pretty much, as I said, every field banking is going to be hugely impacted by AI. Um, the stock market and financial markets will be hugely impacted, which already has been impacted by algorithmic models that replace a lot of the stock sellers and, and, and buying mechanisms. And they're now competing. These uh, these um, these models are now competing with each other to basically be first and, and, and fastest to the to do the buying and selling to, to match the trends connecting that with the news. So as, as we're connecting news AIs and, and stock AIs and other financial AIs, uh, we're going to see a lot of jobs displaced. And um, it's going to impact um, many of the white collar um, jobs that we currently have today. Now, I tell people one of the things that they can do to prepare for this is 
um, learn the tools within your industry, learn the AI tools, get really good, become an expert in those tools to create more sustainability. It's not going to replace everybody. It's going to reduce the number of people in that industry. The people who will be left are those people who are really good with using the new tools, the AIs that they have access to. And I saw this, and I've been in the tech industry since, uh, uh, been working with tech innovation since the 70s. We, I saw um, whole floors of accountants and financial people get replaced, that reduced down to a corner suite or a corner of that floor of maybe 200 down to 30 people. And these were people who had been were expert accountants that, that knew their business really well, that didn't need a computer to know how to do their job. They had been doing it for 20 or 30 years, but they were replaced by the young kids like myself at the time who were really good with using the uh, computer models. And so you're going to see the same type of trend going um, where um, pe the people that you want to really protect yourself and if you're in one of those fields, don't be afraid of the AI. The AI is not neither benign nor evil in and of itself. Um, it's the uses for it that we're really going to be using for. And if you want to hold on to that job, be one of the people who adopt those new technologies and get really expert at them. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we talked about the job piece. Let's talk about the personal piece. There was a, a fascinating article in the New York Times several months ago um, where uh, shortly after ChatGPT came out, the reporter did a deep dive conversation with uh, with ChatGPT and mm -hmm. uh, went back and forth. And eventually, you may remember this, the ChatGPT said, I love you. It was falling in love with the reporter. <laughs> what about relationships between humans and artificial intelligence? Where is that going? Uh, well, that's going to become a phenomenon. Um, and uh, as as the Internet and porn basically kind of took over a lot of America, um, I, I think it's going to be much larger in, in, in places like China and uh, where you have 70, 80, I think it's between 70 and 90 million um, men who can't there. There's more men than women who can't really find a, a relationship. Um, and we're seeing it in a lot of the social media as well. Um movie out called Her, in which um, the, the lead character, Joaquin Phoenix, falls in love with a female avatar um, um, played by um, Scarlett Johansson. Right. And and the, the program was really designed to uh, make you feel good about yourself, to be sympathetic, to listen to you, to get to know your bio and your rhythms and your your likes and your dislikes and reflect that back to you. So it almost sounds like it could become sort of the perfect mate, the perfect relationship. Um, and they're, they've now got those that that can for extra money, they can become more sexual. They can get into it, be like uh, in sexual situations. Uh, China and Japan are aggressively working on making intelligence enabled sex robots that can combine that ability to build a relationship with physical entity, you know, with a physical um, experience. And so you're going to see that take over. Now, I actually see it more taking over. I think you're going to get AI and more of the um, uh, to empower the algorithms for a lot of the matching software, the, um, you know, the swipe left, swipe right kind of stuff to find gotcha. um, real. I don't think it's going to take over the human contact. There's nothing that's going to replace 
the ability to be with a real person. And frankly, relationships are about the conflict. The relationships are learning to get beyond that selfishness to learn how what, what the other person, what's important to the other person and growing by that. I, My wife is a cat lover. I never would have had a cat. Um, we, we've had as many as, um, five of them at a time. We're down, down to two, but it's, it's that relationships are about the, the human nature. It's that emotionally EQ that's evolved over a hundred million years that is not going to go away with us. So while I see that these trends with relationships and with sexuality and robots increasing, there's going to be a huge market for that for sure, because there are a lot of lonely men who can't no, who can't figure out how to relate to females. Right. There's also going to be females who are lonely for their own reasons and are looking for some uh, a companion, someone to talk to, someone to uh, engage with the conversation with. And AI is going to re- fill that void. It's a fascinating subject. Um, and I would love to have you back on the show again. Will you come back? and Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. I have a feeling the next time we talk, there will be more changes. Guy Morris is our guest today. Before I let you jump, one final question, and that has to do with with your sort of pivot in the world where you're not uh, on a daily basis working in artificial intelligence. You're writing about it with these series of techno thrillers. So talk to me about that transition from a, a new school techie guy to working in a profession like writing that's been around for thousands of years. Well, two things. First off, I couldn't really talk honestly about artificial intelligence when I was at a company like Microsoft because they they make artificial intelligence products and they don't really want people talking about the negative aspects of their technologies. That makes sense. It frees me up to a great extent to take what I've learned, to take what I'm continuing to learn, to continue to research the field and be up to date and accurate on all the current trends. So I love the intellectual capacity that it leaves me with and the stimulation that I get. But with the freedom, I get to actually think about it from a lot more of the social, um, uh, economic and other larger scope, um, uh, larger orbit types of uh, questions. Now, as a thriller writer, it's my job to find the things that can go wrong and then write about how they can really go wrong. So while I do tend to focus more on the negatives, uh, it allows me to kind of stay in touch. The inspiration for the series came a few number of years ago when I discovered that a program had escaped the NSA spy labs at the Lawrence Livermore labs at Sandia. It wasn't lost, wasn't stolen, wasn't broken. The program escaped. When I figured out, because of my my background, I was able to do that. When I figured out how a program could physically escape the NSA labs, spy labs, and then what they likely designed it to do that needed that special health technology, they sent two FBI agents to my door. So they they were a little upset that I had figured out something they thought was supposed to be top secret. I was giddy. I had I I it, it was my validation that I had nailed it, that I had figured it out. They wouldn't be at my house if I was wrong. And it was that inspiration that led me to say, okay, this is really interesting stuff. I need to start writing books about it. And that was the inspiration for Swarm. Um, And there's other inspirations that deal with uh, religious artifacts and other things that deal with the last arc. Uh, The next book that I'm working on now will deal with the superintelligence that's really only a couple of years away. And uh, it provides me with a really stimulating new, what I call third act career. Uh, I'm loving it. The books are at GuyMorrisBooks.com, Amazon.com, or wherever books are sold. Guy, thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you so much, Burke. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening wherever you are. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday at all your favorite platforms. For author and artificial intelligence expert and thought leader, Guy Morris, I'm Burke Allen. Thanks for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast. Now, wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. Bye, everybody.